Hello and welcome to the Orchard Recording Studio podcast, a podcast about music and the many aspects of it, how it's made, why we love it, and all the great stuff swirling around in between. Episode two, listening with our eyes. I'm Dave, and I'll be your host. On the desktop of my recording studio computer, there are only two files. One is the diagram of my patch bay and the other is an image of a giant black rectangle. The first one is an exact visual representation of how every component in the control room is connected. It's every input and every output of every single piece of gear. And the other one was specifically designed to block vision. I'll explain. You see, in the recording studio, the computer is the focal point, and everything that matters happens there. All eyes are on it all the time. And so when I'm working at it and there's a band sitting behind me, I can feel their eyes on the back of my head trying to see over my shoulders at what I'm doing. Is that a bad thing? I think to explore that, we need to roll back the tape, or more specifically, roll back to tape. You see, before we recorded to computers, we recorded to tape. Recording to computers is actually a pretty new advent in the recording world. Engineers didn't start migrating to computer recording until about the mid to late 90s. And any engineer who got their start recording the tape will go on and on at length about the differences between the two, the sound quality, the feel. They'll even use terms like mojo, which, to be honest, I still don't know how to explain. But the biggest difference I've always been interested in wasn't really the sound at all. It was the visual. Back before computer recording really took off, there just wasn't much to look at in the studio while you were listening to playback. You could look at the VU meters bouncing around or the gain reduction lights on the compressors, trade glances with other musicians, or just zone out. And there was certainly no visual representation of the music itself. So when you're recording to tape, your eyes didn't really have much to do. But today, recording on a computer is a fully visual experience. You see the waveforms of every individual track, every guitar, drum, vocal line, everything. So you're essentially reading along with the music as you're listening to it. And that's where, for me, things get really interesting. Because what happens if those two things argue? What happens if you like the way something sounds, but don't like how it looks? Which is right? And then what happens next? Let's say you're working on a rock song, and the drummer plays a fill that sounds great. It's super interesting, with lots of emotion, but it speeds up. So it sounds cool, but on the screen it looks wrong. Especially if the drummer's playing to a click track, and you, presumably the engineer, are looking at the grid. So do you listen with your eyes or with your ears? If it doesn't look right, does that mean it's wrong? After a few listens, you may feel one way and then the other. And what happens next can be kind of a disaster. The dreaded audio engineer's internal monologue. I like it, but I don't trust it because of how it looks. And if I don't trust it, I'll change it to make it look right. But if I make it look right, it'll sound different, and it might not be as cool or interesting. But if I don't fix it, am I allowing a mistake to go through? And what will the result of that be? Will fewer people like it? Will fewer people buy it? Will I or the band make less money? Will I have fewer opportunities later? Will I be perceived as lazy? Will no one trust me to work on their records in the future? How will this affect my reputation? And all of that transpires in an instant and informs the decision to either fix or not fix, quote-unquote, that drum fill that you loved when you heard it but didn't trust when you saw it. While in the background, of course, someone in the band says, well, it doesn't sound like a mistake, it just sounds human. 
and someone else will say, no, it sounds sloppy and doesn't line up with the grid. And of course, someone will offer, go listen to the Rolling Stones and find one drum fill where the whole band comes in together afterward. And there you are, the engineer, hoping for consensus, hoping to get it right, however we're defining right at this moment, and hoping to move on to other things that could be more important while the clock is ticking. And that is why I have a giant black rectangle on my desktop. What it does is visually impair everyone in the room, the musicians and even me, from listening with our eyes when we should be using our ears. When it's time to listen, up goes the black rectangle and covers the entire screen. And I don't know if this is right or wrong, but in my experience as an engineer, the visual component is the second line of defense. If something sounds wrong, that's when I spin around in my chair, minimize that black rectangle and reveal the screen and all the tracks and waveforms that come with it so we can take a look. And then when we're done, up goes the rectangle to avoid any further reading along. You know, speaking of the Rolling Stones, have you seen that video of them listening back to Wild Horses at Muscle Shoals in 1969? I'll put it on my website, podcast.orchardrecordingstudio.com. It's great. Highly recommended viewing on this topic. Watch it and imagine what it would have been like if they were all just staring at a screen. You know, um, another thing to consider to make the case for the black rectangle is the listener's experience. When the music is said and done, mastered, marketed, whatever, listeners won't be looking at the waveforms or the grid. They'll be listening in the car, in earbuds on the way to work, thinking about the friend of theirs that turned them on to the song or the place they were when they first heard it, or just getting a feeling. There's no related visual component for them. They're just hearing it and feeling it. And it'll be compelling to them or not based solely on that experience. And I think that that's a really special thing. I mean, think about the reasons why we all got into this stuff in the first place. Presumably, it's because we all love music and we just feel what we feel about it based on our individual experiences with it. And to me, that's a really meaningful thing. I want the musicians who come here to have that experience too. When the recording is done and they're home listening to mixes, I want them to be reminded of how good it felt to play a few takes, come into the control room to listen back, and enjoy that moment. I'd rather have them looking at Ben members' body language or, or staring out the control room window with the leaves changing or just closing their eyes with their heads back. It's a really emotional moment, and I don't want it to include examining waveforms. So this black rectangle business first started when I was doing a record in Los Angeles with my old band at the time. We are in this cool little studio in Pasadena, and I remember during Mixdown, everyone in the room was focused on the screen. And I remember this was our last couple of hours in the studio Listening down, you know, the very end of the recording process, it was like that yes or no moment. Are we done? Did all our hard work over the last few weeks pay off? Or do we need to book more time? And there we were, sitting on the couch behind the engineer, peering over his shoulder, looking at all the edit points and crossfades and being reminded, oh, right, we did steal the verse from take six and stitch it to the chorus of take three. And it took a little surgery and, you know, it was hard, but, you know, we finally got there. And we did have to scooch the bass drum hits in this section or, you know, copy-paste the same vocal part a couple times because we just couldn't get it right more than once. And for me, there's, there's baggage in all that stuff. You know, every, every edit is a, is a reminder of something that you didn't get right the first time. And that's okay. There's no rule that says you have to get it right the first time. But when you're listening back thinking, are we done or are we not done, that's where you need to make the switch from musician to listener 
But we were stuck in the past, reliving all these edits and, you know, what were some hard discussions. So I asked the engineer if he could switch off the screen. And I think he said that he would rather not. So I, I think I reached into my drum case or something and grabbed a towel and we draped it over the screen and began listening. It took a little getting used to because everyone in the room was so used to having the screen as the focal point and reading along, especially the engineer. But eventually we really got into it. And instead of holding our breath every time the cursor rolled over an edit point, we began just exchanging head nods at the good parts and tapping our feet. And we transformed into listeners, listening for enjoyment. Here's a short tangent and probably a topic for another episode. But if you ask me, Music, and especially rock music in its many forms, is supposed to be a little janky. Not sloppy, but human. Just enough to be approachable and disarming. I remember reading somewhere about when The Clash were recording London Calling and rehearsing brand new Cadillac to do a take. They finished, announced that they were going to do it for real, but the producer, Guy Stevens, said he already had it. He was recording while they were rehearsing. Of course, the band objected because the tempo wasn't steady, it sped up. And legend has it that guy says, all rock and roll speeds up. And that's the version that made it onto the album. And that makes so much sense to me. And is still something I think about in the studio to this day. There's a fine line, a sweet spot, where cool lives. It's just to the right of sounding like a mistake. And just to the left of sounding robotic. And if you're working on rock music, it's important to calibrate for that sweet spot. But that takes ears, not eyes. You'll never find it if you're looking at the grid. And that's where the black rectangle comes in. It helps you to calibrate your ears to that sweet spot, something that your eyes can't help with. You know, every time that black rectangle pops up uh, for the first time with a new client, I get questions. And I always give them the same spiel, but I always do it. Because I love that scene of the stones at Muscle Shoals. And I love remembering that night in Pasadena and all the other sessions I've ever been a part of where the focus was the music. And you can just get lost in it. The truth is, as you could probably tell, I love recording. And I love it so much that I'm protective of the experience. Not everyone gets to do this all the time. But when they do, everyone comes with a notion of what it might be like. And I just try to give them the best version of that that I can. And for me, it doesn't include staring at waveforms. It includes pouring your heart and soul into a song and staying in artist mode without flipping into technician mode to look at a screen and review a waveform. That's my job, and I do that so that they don't have to. This is Dave from the Orchard Recording Studio Podcast signing off. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe on iTunes. You can also find us at soundcloud.com slash orchardrecordingstudio. I'll post that video of the stones at Muscle Shoals on our podcast page. It's uh, podcast.orchardrecordingstudio.com. Feel free to email the show with any feedback or suggestions for topics at podcast at orchardrecordingstudio.com. You can also follow the studio on Instagram at orchardrecording. And uh, that's it for now. Until next time.